Ira, take it away. Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. That voice you heard was Jason. He's back from his Asian tour. Jason, how was Asia? It was great. I actually enjoyed some local soccer over there. Go Gambo Soccer. I'm going to represent the home team out there. And uh, it was great. I didn't sleep at all. Uh, made some tea. Um, yeah, everything that I could have won in a trip. So I'm happy. So unlike unlike Capital Combustion, this won't be a drunk pod. This will be a, a very tired pod. Because yes, a sleep, both... <laughs> a sleep deprived pod. <laughs> yeah, so you're a little sleep deprived. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay at the moment, but we'll see how we do as we go on because there's a lot of stuff going on in USL League One. Only three weeks left, Jason. Can you believe it? I can't. It's it's going to be a fun last three weeks. I'll tell you that much. It's not. Listen, it's it, you can't miss TV. I had to watch it. I woke up six seven a.m. in Japan and was watching these games. You can't miss them. So why don't we get to the news? So first, Lansing Ignite. Uh, we uh, did an interview show. Just uh, just it should be the previous episode in your podcast feed. I interviewed Elma Nafour, which uh, was. Probably the most fascinating of the three interviews because we we learned some stuff that I don't think anyone had known. Uh, Jason, did did you know some of those stories? No, not at all. Everything from you know, and for could could have potentially been playing for Charlotte Independence to apparently Celso's the best dressed. Uh, you know, we we got a lot of good content, but also it's a really good look into what it's like for lower league soccer division players um, and their journeys, right? It's an incredible journey from playing in Sunday leagues to all of a sudden now potentially winning a USL League One championship, right? And being an important role player in that. So uh, definitely worth the listen. I thought you did some great interviews with that. Also with uh, Nick and Toomey as well. Yeah, so so basically, you know, three of the bigger attacking pieces for Lansing over the uh, over the last stretch here, you know, with them in form, it seems like the team's really in form. So, um, yeah, you know, please take a listen. Uh, it's really, really worth it. Uh, player of the month for the month of August was Dallas J. I mean, national team player was away with Guam for a game and, you know, they, they wind up not doing that well that game. <laughs> so now he's back. Um, so, you know, I think deserved, I mean, clearly green Greenville went on a, a decent run in, uh, in the month of August and he was a big part of that. Yeah. No, I mean, Greenville is centered around their defense. I think he's a big part of that, not just with his goalkeeping, but kind of conditioning everyone, getting them in order, organizing them. Um, like you said, they didn't do well when he was gone and that might be indication of what happens. Um, I think that he's an important player for them and with, Keegan being out, he might be their most important player right now. So, uh, Jason, while you were gallivanting around the globe, I was on the Top Door Soccer Show with uh, Taylor Rockwell, and we were talking about some of the young players. And I, I just want to highlight uh, that the young, some of the young players we highlighted did quite well this week. So Jordan Peruza had two goals, uh, also goals by Tiago Souza, Nick Moon, Rafa Mensigan, Arturo Rodriguez. One guy who I mentioned, though, didn't do so well, and that was Josh Phelps, who got a red card for two yellows in, in the South yeah. Korea Fermenta match. Not, you, not a good showing there. And, and you can't get red cards this late into the season, right? You're chasing last spot in the playoffs, and you're, you're you know one of the most important players on the field. You can't get two yellows, right? You can't get a red card. You can't be suspended. Every game matters. Every minute matters. And now Torment has got an uphill battle. Yeah, for sure. 
so uh, th- we have two different headlines about the Milwaukee Torrent, which is currently an NPSL member cup side that uh, they played forward Madison yesterday. That was on Tuesday night. And apparently uh, forward Madison beat them two to one to win the shiniest cup. I have no idea what this is. The battle for Wisconsin. I didn't know this was a thing. This is, this is the greatest cup in lower league <laughs> soccer. Ira, what are you talking about? How do you not know about this? <laughs> I thought that was the Henny cup. That was the forward uh, oh, Richmond you know rivalry. You might, you might, you might have a, you might have a, a debate with that one i will say that <laughs> so anyway that that did happen um apparently uh so so here's here's another piece of news that that you found jason so I'll, I'll let you talk about this but um talk about milwaukee torrent maybe doing something else besides yeah. the npsl member cup yeah so according to wisconsin soccer central on twitter the Milwaukee Torrent have acquired the financial backing to join a third division league, so they plan on applying to either League One or NISA for the 2021 season. Um, so it's interesting to see that because when you go to that tweet, you'll see some Torrent fans, and it's kind of split in between what they want to do. You have some fans that want to go to NISA, and you have others that want to go to League One. So it's kind of, it's going to be interesting to see if you know, maybe Torrent applies a League One and then has Nisa as a fallback plan. Uh, Nisa recently, a lot, you know, launched and they already have a team folding with the uh, the Philadelphia Fury. So that might be a second option to them. Just give that time for the league to actually get up and get started and kind of get consistent. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What what do you think as a fan of that team? You know, I know people really want to hold on to their independence and they feel like coming on the USL means you're selling your soul. To corporate dev or MLS or whatever you want to say it. What, what do you think, Ira? I, I well, firstly, I think that that's wrong. I think that the you know the structure of USL is significantly different than Major League Soccer. So USL, for, so everyone knows, is not a single entity. So it it's a, it is a significantly different. They do have relatively strict rules, but a lot of that has to do with financial sustainability and just making sure that that the brand is good and and maintained well. I, I think. You know, I think either way could be really fun because let's say that that Milwaukee ends up in Nisa, then, you know, they don't really compete with forward Madison directly because they wouldn't play each other. But there might be good, interesting Open Cup rivalries, right, because they would be in the same pot for the U.S. US Open Cup, at least for the first couple of rounds. So that could be pretty interesting. And then uh, and if they wind up in USL League One, then it's a natural, you know, cross state rivalry for sure. So I I think either way, I, I. you know, I, I hope that the state is has enough of a soccer culture that I could support both of those teams because I suspect that there's some Milwaukee fans who are members of the flock. I would think. Uh, I think so. I think so. I think that uh, what you've seen, they're one of the more uh, successful teams in MPSL. They have a good fan base. They have a good following. Even when you look at teams in that area, right? You go over to Minnesota. Duluth has a great fan base and following, and they've been successful as well. I think that that area in general is just a nice bed, a hot soccer bed. Um, so I don't really doubt the the support behind, you know, any of those teams coming out of there. I think they do well no matter what league they go in. So a big piece of breaking news. This literally happened 20 minutes before we were recording, but senior vice president of USL League One, Stephen Short, who we've had on the show before, tweeted just tonight that something special was brewing up in Portland, Maine. Guess we got to get ready to head up to Portland here, Jason. 
what is what are the chances that S- Steven is just trying to put teams in places he would love to vacation? I, I think that's <laughs> that's an investigative journalism task. Uh, uh, that I Omaha, need to get he like he likes yeah, Omaha. He likes Omaha. You know, you got we, we interviewed him when he was in Omaha. Going to San Diego. I and listen. These these are places where it feels like you know. Oh, I guess I guess I can go into a away game in Maine. I guess I can go. Yeah. So. <laughs> But no, that's that's exciting. Now, I'm I wonder if this won't be maybe the New England Revolution's B team, right, or second team, because that would be an interesting place for it. It's not quite the Boston market, but it's close enough that, you know, they could potentially share some facilities and 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 some players without too much difficulty, and and you know you you can have your own fan base where you might actually you know make some money from some seat revenue, unlike some of the two teams that cohabitate. Yeah, right. I would, I would think that would be the best option. I, it's, it's a little bit of a drive though, isn't like Foxborough to Maine? Like no, it's a, it's or... a few hours, but, but I think they're talking about having a training facility that's not quite in Foxborough. That's a little bit closer to New Hampshire. Okay. Um, so, so it would be kind of, you know, I don't want to say equidistant. It would certainly be closer to Foxborough, but you right. know, a two-hour drive or something's not, not undoable. Um, you know, especially going up for game day. I mean, similar, not dissimilar to what happens with Bethlehem Steel. You know, the guys for Bethlehem Steel from Philadelphia, you know, they trained at the Philadelphia Union facility and then they would drive up basically for game day and appearances up in Bethlehem. Yeah, but that that's a whole situation. Like, I I get what you're saying. That's not the team to compare it to because they don't have lights anymore. They don't have a real big fan base anymore. Yeah, I know Bethlehem had a big big (laughs) issue because of some infrastructure problems. But but my point is, is that you could you could probably – um, maybe do something like that if uh, if you wanted to. Um, but and if they're independent, that's even that's great too, right? I mean, either way, I think that works because if you have a team in Portland, Maine, and then you have you know New England Revolution plays maybe in like you know Manchester, New Hampshire, or something like that, then you could have a rivalry there too, right? You could have another local derby that would be uh, could be really fun in the future. So shall we get to some games here, Jason? Let's do it. We got a we got a bunch to cover, so right. let's get to it. Well, here's one that I can't cover too much because on Friday night during prime time, right? <laughs> How dare you not watch four p.m. games in Toronto? How dare a you? Game, a game that absolutely did not matter to the standings <laughs> one way or the other. The seventh game of USL League One I did not watch this season was TFC2, who scored three against OCB's two. Um, I did watch the highlights. Um, it looked like it was a pretty exciting game. Obviously, five goals scored. Um, Jordan Perusa with with a brace in this one, one from a PK and one from the run of play. Um, uh, but the, the the first goal was might have been the best goal for OCB, oh, yeah. which was Lucas Ontivero's goal from uh, Leo Simas. Um, so Leo just had a great chipped pass from the right hand side into the box, and Lucas Ontivero just made a great like one time turn, like he settled the ball, turned and shot all in one motion. It was pretty yeah. amazing. Actually, it was it was almost like a back heel. That he yeah. set up to himself. And then he what he does is he brings it down with his left foot, back heels it, and then does a spin move so that he can get back centered with the ball. And you look at uh, Bunk Anderson, who's a great defender. He was just looking confused, like, I have no idea what's going on right now. And then uh, he just set it up to his left foot and had a beautiful finish. Like, at low-key, probably the goal of the week, in my opinion. I think it was a, a fantastic 
effort on his part. Yeah, I don't think it'll win it, but because it, I don't think it was nominated, but it, it, it was should be. It definitely was a good. It was definitely a good goal, and uh, you know, I think it. I think a lot of people would not think about doing what he did. I I, I probably would have fallen on my face had I tried yeah, it. Quite frankly, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, we like we know Arturo Rodriguez can score off of free kicks. Okay, we we know Zaguro may or may not have you know meant to score that goal off of a corner. The, the Olympico, but yeah. That, yeah, but that one was was beautiful it was executed beautifully it was obviously he was trying to do it listen orlando doesn't have much going for them give that give credit to them for that that was a beautiful goal yeah so then you had um uh, tfc2 uh tied it up uh and and uh and then in, in late in the second half and then in the 56th minute jordan perusa had a very nice goal again another chipped pass this time from uh jordan faria so it was jordan to jordan and um, Perusa was able just to muscle Leo Simas off yes. the ball and put the body on him. You, when you Simas <laughs> could not let that happen. You can't get overpowered by Perusa like that. He had position and everything, and Perusa just goes across his body to make sure that he can get a foot on that for an easy tap in. So shout out to Perusa just putting that muscle in there. Yeah. 71st minute, Tiago Souza uh, scores on a PK. Uh, Will Bagru uh, was taken down in the box. He definitely was pulled. His arm was pulled, and he was smart just to go down. It was a little bit easy, uh, but it was a foul. It, that's the thing, too, and I think it was Muhammad who pulled him down. You, as a defender, cannot have your hand on someone's shoulder, right? You just can't, especially yeah. across their body, because as soon as they start running in the op- opposite direction, it looks like you're pulling them. So you can't do that, and as soon as... You know, uh, Bagru made that run. He saw that the hand was still on his shoulder and went, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go down because it just looks like he's obviously pulling me. So even if he did go down easy, you just can't, as a defender, have your hand on someone's shoulder like that, especially yeah. in the box. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, a, a very unfortunate way for OCB to lose, but um, in the 85th minute, they got an own goal. I mean, it, it, quite frankly, what happened here was Nelson takes the ball down the left-hand side. Uh, Souza, who had a yellow card by this time, he actually yeah. got beat. So Souza yep. couldn't take the yellow in order to stop Nelson from going down the left side. Nelson cuts it back, hits it hard with his right foot right across the about a yard away from goal. Um, and uh, and ha- it hits off a of Hummel. And, and uh, who, who I think Petrasso was there too, right? Yeah, Petrasso yep. and Hummel were fighting for it. Yep. But had Hummel not hit it, Jordan Prusa would have tapped it in. So, well, I, I'm trying to. I'm wondering where everyone was after D'Souza because when Nelson beat D'Souza, that was it. There was nobody yeah, no else. Any, yeah. I, everyone else was still in the U.S. while this game was being played in <laughs> Toronto. I don't know where everybody was, but Nelson had all the time in the world to to pretty much aim that cross, line it up, put it in with power. It was just no pressure on him. Well, I think this shows what OCB's problem has been the whole time. It's just defensive pressure and cover, right? They just don't pressure and cover properly. So they can score two goals, which is, you know, not a terrible outing, really. No, but, and, you know, you and give just up three, one it's bad. or two goals, you're, you're beating three or four teams in this league, right? Like yeah. some of these teams only are winning one or more than one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, when's the last time? When's the last time Chattanooga Red Wolf scored more than one goal in a game? You know, it's last uh, week. But before that, it was well, yeah, a ton yeah. of- <laughs> well, this past week they did. They still lost. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. All right. So a game with uh, not quite as many goals, but still four. You had that same night, but a little bit later, Greenville Triumph, who scored four against FC Tucson. FC Tucson falling out of bed. Yeah. But real quick before we move on to that one, because I did wake up 
at 5 a.m. in uh, Osaka to watch this Orlando Toronto game. Actually, it wasn't for the game. I just can't sleep when I'm in uh, when I'm traveling. Um, shout out to Faria though for Toronto. He looked good. Shot went off the woodwork. Had two shots uh, or two chances created. Had an assist. Had seven crosses. Two tackles. Uh, someone who hasn't gotten too too much playing time this year. He looked really good. And uh, so did your boy um, Jesus West for Orlando. I thought he looked really good as well. I'm sorry for uh, Toronto. Great. All right. Anything else on, on that one? Sorry, I didn't didn't do that. I didn't no, watch it, so I, I got nothing else. To yeah. Say. No, you. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that's not dedicated. I'm waking up at 5 a.m. to watch these games. You can't even watch a 4 p.m. Toronto primetime game. Wow. Look how uh, I, quite, quite frankly, frankly I, I actually had time, but I decided to watch the the Red Bulls lose instead of uh, watching that one. Mm. Anyway. Uh, Greenville Triumph 4 versus FC Tucson 0. There were no assists in this game, Jason. Four goals were scored, not a single assist. You know know what there was, though? It was deflections. Uh, (laughs) Lots and lots (laughs) of block shots and deflections. Of which... So so it's funny, you know, when I first saw the scoreline here, I was like, I was like, oh, we were really worried about who was going to score the goals with Jake Keegan having surgery done on his foot and being out the rest of the season. I'm like, oh, Carlos Gomez, he's going to he's taken over. He's actually stepping up. Yeah. Quite frankly, I mean, he was in the right place at the right time and took advantage of it. But three times. Man, three times. Had a hat, a hat trick. Patrick up with three deflections. Love it. <laughs> but, you know, credit to him because that's not. That's not a coincidence, right? Like you as a player put yourself in those positions to where you're either making those runs when you see a shot that's a hard shot and you know that the keeper spills that you're going to be there. Or when you see a deflection, you're putting your body and almost boxing out so that the ball can come down at your feet. Um, so props to him for being at the right place, right time. A hat trick's a hat trick, I guess, but definitely uh, three deflections, a hilarious hat trick. Well, we'll talk about it later because he uh, was named Player of the Week by by the league, and uh, you know for his hat trick. Which, yeah, you know, I agree. And and part of the thing is too is that when the ball came down to him in, in those positions, he didn't panic, right? He yeah. he definitely had legitimate shots on goal, and he tried to get in those good positions. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think he did other things well too. We'll talk about it when we talk about player of the week. I, you know what? I would give it to him. I think there's only one other player who I'd rival with that. Um, but he also did a lot, but we'll talk about that a little bit. Oh, uh, For sure. I mean, he, he definitely had a good game. He was, he was all over the place in the attacking half of the field, right? There was no doubt about it. He was, you know, con- con- uh, connecting play. I mean, some of the, I mean, he would have had assists on, I think two of the three yep. hat tricks that he had. So he would have actually had two assists had he not actually gotten the goals. Um, I, I want to ask you, though, in particular, I, I don't want to go through necessarily every goal, but I do want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the uh, Carlos Gomez's second goal because, you know, as a goalkeeper, like this was really Batista making an error more than anything. So in this one, actually, you know, Gomez got the ball to Saul. Saul shoots. The ball is blocked high into the air. And uh, and there's a, there's a number of players around uh, around the ball as it's coming down, including Carlos Gomez. But then there was also I think two two defenders as well as the goalkeeper for FC Tucson uh, Valdez, right? Um, so yeah. so Saul shoots, Batista blocks it. Um, Valdez jumps and tries to punch it with both hands instead yes. of trying to catch it. And misses it, actually, yeah. like literally misses it as he's putting his arms out. And it falls to Gomez, who's there and, and is able just to score because it's now behind Gomez. Why do you think Valdez was trying to punch it instead of catch it, Jason? Was it I because the ball was slippery or something? Because I have no idea. Because as a keeper, 
when a ball is that far up and coming straight down at that slow speed, you're like, yeah, you just get up there and catch it. The one thing I'm curious about, and obviously Edumadu is the, you know, the more consistent starter for Tucson. So maybe you have something to do with that, right? There's a lack of communication. I'm wondering if he yelled out that he was going to clear the ball to defenders, right? Because the way Batista is standing there, it seems like he's kind of waiting for direction to be shouted at him or whether they need him to clear or the creeper is going to grab it and i don't think anything was and so i don't really want to put that on batista who just unfortunately at the wrong you know while gomez is at the right place at the wrong at right time i think batista for two or three times is at the wrong place at the wrong time um but yeah it, it was it was i was curious as to why the keeper tried to punch it it's very hard to punch a ball coming straight down as than it is to just catch it um, and I'm wa- also wondering if Batista was supposed to move out the way and was told directions that, hey, I'm going to try to punch this. Oh, he was in there, yeah. Um, so Aaron Walker was the uh, got the fourth goal. He actually got the third goal, but he was the he, he was the other goal scorer in this game. He scored on a on a PK. I think a lot of people like looked around and were like, you know, it was clear that Aaron was supposed to take it. That Aaron right. Walker was the penalty which, kick taker. Which because I, was, I, th- I was surprised about, but it's good. I mean, if he's if he's the guy, he's the guy. Yeah, I mean, it would have been Jake Keegan probably because Jake had right. I think had taken their other two penalties. Um, and uh, uh, but Aaron obviously you know won some penalty kick contest or something like that. I think there was. It was a little bit surprising, I think, to, to someone who I was having a conversation with at the time while we were watching, why Carlos Gomez didn't uh, didn't take it to get his hat trick. But you know, if you have a designated PK taker, you have that person take it. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, and then so, shout out to uh, JJ Donnelly for drawing that PK down the yeah. left side. Um, I I think JJ had a great game. I do think that he did a lot off the ball. That it's not going to you know result on the score sheet or on the stat sheet, um, but uh, Greenville dominated that left side all game, and JJ was a big part of that. So yeah, and, shout out and, to him. I, the angle was weird. It looked like and Hanlon, uh, who was the one who fouled him, got a yellow for dissent because immediately after he kind of got into the ref's face to say that Donnelly uh, had dove. And it's really tough to see if he did dive at the angle. We didn't have a good camera angle. I think but there was, I will, I think there was contact. Yeah. So I mean, well, Hanlon, contact that it's in the box, so you, and, you never and know. Hanlon, put out his leg like he was a hitchhiker trying to get picked, uh, picked up. So if you put your leg out like that and there's even the slightest bit of contact, they're going to call it. So It's hard It's hard to go for the ball when you're not, you know, at least even or in front of the person, right? right. And the fact is he wasn't. So I, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's probably a good, uh, a decent a decent shout. And he wasn't going to get a card for, uh, for dog so for denial of goal scoring opportunity. It was run of the mill foul. It just happened to be in the box. Um, can, but another part of that left-hand side, I think, can we talk about uh, Paul Chloe's? He won seven of eight duels. He won four, all four of the area, aerial duels that he was in, 84% passing accuracy in the opponent's half, three clearances, an interception, a block shot, kind of the unsung hero for Greenville on the day. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he was, he was kind of there, you know, helping, you know, he and JJ Donnelly, uh, had a number of, of good, you know, one twos going down that left-hand side, like you said. So, you know, you know, props to him for having a really good game. He was quietly, uh, I think very influential to, uh, creating some of those chances. In fact, I think, uh, one of, um, I think one of Saul's shots actually came from a, a chance that he would have created had, uh, he may have had an assist on, on one of Saul's shots had it not been blocked. So. You know, what's fun, What's funny about that left side, seven of 11 of Greenville's key passes came from that left side. Guess where the four from the right side came from? 
I'm gonna all say from Carlos. All from Carlos Gomez. Every yeah. single last one of them. <laughs> so it, it was it was the perfect. Okay, we're gonna overcrowd the left side, and then we're gonna let Carlos do his thing on the right, and it and it worked. Yep. So Devin Jamgo did not have a good game. Uh, it was probably his. The, here, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm yeah, not. I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna debate you on this. I don't uh. think. I don't think that he had a bad game. I don't think he got the ball enough. He had the least amount of touches of any player on the field. And when he did have it, he produced more crosses than anybody else and was more active. Obviously, the crosses weren't as accurate, but he was still putting some kind of production. You can't have him have the least amount of touches of any player on the I guess, field. I guess that that's fair. I, I guess that's fair. I guess it's not to say that he had a bad game, but he had a quiet game. Yes, right? absolutely. So, so, yeah. So maybe maybe my adjective there. In fact, in the show notes, I think you can see it says Devin Jam got quiet day yeah um <laughs> so uh but four duels won uh you know he uh, uh or excuse me he had only four duels he did win three of them no shots only one chance created and only completed one of his six attempted crosses so right um you know the, there there you go so you know when, when he doesn't get the ball and and he's not dangerous then you know clearly tucson is uh is having some problems trying to trying to score and it just was not their night and, you know another another by the way rain delay in greenville that greenville wins after the rain yeah. delay you notice Listen, that they, they they might have they might have a, a something going on with them you have to watch it playoff time i don't i don't trust it I don't, i'm not <laughs> trusting it but we'll talk about that later, actually, uh, because I, I did put out a, a Twitter poll today. And, uh, you know, okay. it, it got a few votes. We'll talk about and yeah. and props to uh, Dominic Bolin too. Um, you can watch him shadow Jamba throughout the game, and I think he did a great job at that, not allowing Jamba to really take off and try to beat him on one-on-one situations. Yeah, and Bolin did not get up the field like he usually does nope, either. Not so usually, usually, usually he's uh, about fifty-fifty in between offensive and defensive half, and he was actually closer yep. to seventy percent in the defensive half this game. So yep, that's... he yep he's definitely on his own ha- own side of the field. Um, I think him and um. Uh, uh, Pulitz were the two people furthest back for Greenville. And I think that's probably direction of John Harks, right? It's like, hey, if you go up too far, you're going to allow John to be one-on-one with you. I need you to stay back and may I mark him. Shall we move on to the next match, Jason? Tucson, 11 shots, only one on target, but only one of them was outside of the box. So they got the shots from in the box. Um, They had three or four blocked. I think Greenville just did a great job organizing and not allowing them to have open shots in the box. So, again, Greenville's defense looking scary and scarier as we get to the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, they scored on four of their five shots on target. So, yeah. well, you know, I mean, that, well, one's a PK. Batista probably scored three of them. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know why he even like that first goal. Why put a leg out? Just yell at the ball like you're going to clear it. Just, you're going to clear it way more if you're just yelling at it and intimidating it than putting a leg out. Come on, my guy. All right. So moving on uh, to Saturday night's first match, which was uh, not the match that I was watching live. I watched this uh, later that night. Um you know, as it's going on, I'm getting my notifications on my phone as to what the score is. I'm like, man, I'm watching the wrong game. Yeah, you're <laughs> being too big of a homer with that uh, that Richmond. Cause... Uh, well, it was, you know, because that was an important game for Richmond. But we'll talk about that one next. But first, let's talk about Lansing Ignites. 
four to three thriller against Chattanooga Red Wolves. This w- might have been might have been one of the matches of the season. Like if you had to pick one of your top three matches of the season, this might have been one of them. Absolutely high score, high scoring goal uh, of the season too, right? Seven I goals. Think I think seven goals. Yeah, high. I can't think of another game that was more than seven. I think yeah. Everything else, I think there was a six goal game, but everything, yeah. Yeah, well, there were a couple of three three games, so yeah, yeah so for, for sure. But yeah, I, I think this was it, and there was no like five two games either. So with the uh, ninety winner, what else do you want? What a game! Oh man, so it really was it really was a good game. Um, so you know, if you if you haven't watched any games this week, watch this one for sure. So it the, goal, the scoring started in the third minute where uh, so there were, Chattanooga got a very early corner kick. They were pressing. I, I you know I Chattanooga came out pressing. I loved it. Dancing. It was crazy. You don't I, see I Chattanooga it. do that. It was nuts. I loved it. And I think they <laughs> they took a piece. There was there was a game against Lansing earlier this season where a team that doesn't press and I want to say it was maybe Tucson or it was Greenville came out and they pressed and Lansing had to adjust and it took them a little bit. And I wonder if coach Hankinson saw that and said, Hey, we're going to do the same. We're going to try to catch them off guard and press early. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they just said, Hey, for the first 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to press. We're going to see if we can, you know, Nick one or two and you know, it worked and it did. And it actually worked twice. So the, the first one in the third minute now, the the goal did not come from the run of play, but it did come from high pressure. It came from a, uh, um, it did generate a corner kick and, Zagoro scores an Olympico. It was yeah, wound up being far post side netting, right in the upper ninety. Um, I know you know Weston and the guys at Capital Combustion were questioning whether or not should, someone should have been on the back post or if Cleveland should have had it. Cleveland right. went up for it. Cleveland yeah. went up for this ball, could not get it because it was over his head. I think Zagoro was aiming for the back post, was not expecting it necessarily to be an Olympico, but. You know, you, you put it in the danger area, and sometimes it's going to go in. And you know, he he well deserves the uh, the credit for the for, for the nice shot. And then they also brought up about how certain keepers like certain things. And you know, when I played keeper, I was the type to where I would tell people whether I wanted someone on the back post or where I wanted someone, you know, in the the short post. And I usually had somebody on the short post so that I could take care of the back post. Um, but thankfully, I never had to face a shot like that to where it was just. Yeah perfectly placed to where I, you can't get up and get it well that's a good point because the the other thing is is an in-swinger and out-swinger right so Zagoro was taking it with his left foot right I mean he plays yep. on the he plays left uh, left wing back for um for Chattanooga so you knew it was going to be an in-swinger you know maybe on an in-swinger you want someone on the back post on an out-swinger you don't worry about it as much right yeah. just because you don't have the possibility of something like this occurring right so um, so, so that's certainly something to consider for the future for Lansing set piece defending. Um, but it didn't stay one nil for very long, Jason, no. uh, because in the eighth minute, Rafa Mensigan does Rafa Mensigan stuff. And this was the high press again. Do you want to talk us through this goal a little bit? Yeah, this is just Rafa, you know, long ball. And I, I want to go back in one day when I have time, I'm going to go back and see how many of the goals Lansing have scored this year off like that started from long balls because this is a long ball that goes to Rafa but it's deflected off of um and yeah Ponza I think yeah and uh and Ponza then uh attempts the coveted leg stick out on the ground defending which Rafa kind of just hops over him (laughs) like a Mario character um and he just has that speed that where once he got the deflection back to him, it was it was off to the races. No one was going to catch up with him. And uh, Rafa does what Rafa does when he has time, and he had a great finish. 
Yeah, so Rafa gets into the D. He's being closed down by two defenders, but just gets a shot off lower lower right hand corner. And uh, Mangles reached out, and it was like just under Mangles' arms. I mean, I think Mangles thought maybe he'd cut it back and shoot near post, but he winds up shooting far post. I'd say all of Lansing's shots were just so well placed. They were you so know, like they were they all were, far post. Yeah, they were. Crazy. And that's what you have to do against Mangles, and they did, and that's what <laughs> made that so impressive, right? Like if you told me. There was four goals scored against Mangles. I was like, oh, well, maybe he had an off night. No, it was just that these goals were absolutely beautifully placed. No, he didn't have an off night. In fact, you know, he even had four saves to go along with, uh, you know, they they were eight shots on target and he saved four of them, right? It just, and the four that he didn't, there was very little that he could realistically do. I mean, maybe on one or two of them, he could have anticipated and jumped to have a second faster. But, you know, if you do that, you, you know, someone might go the other way, right? Right. 17th minute, Greg Hurst uh, scores F off of Stephen Beattie. Greg Hurst's first touch on this ball was absolutely world class, in my view. I mean, it. You know, how many times have you seen someone, you know, try to settle a chipped ball and it goes out for a goal kick? Yeah, um, like it happens but, all the time. But let's talk about the chip too, because yeah. I don't think there is a single player, a person in that whole building that expected. BD to chip it when he did that ball came down and usually that's a ball that BD you know any player brings down has two touches and then tries to cross it in or tries to make something happen one-on-one BD's body wasn't even completely turned towards the goal and he decided to chip that in and it was perfectly chipped to Hurst who like you said then just has a amazing touch and just puts it to you know Cleveland on the short post which like I said, I don't think anybody in that whole stadium expected that pass or that shot to happen. So nobody was prepared for it. Yeah. So, and I, I think actually Mangles um, was it. it oh, um, excuse me, not not Mangles. What am I talking about? Um, Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. That, I'm sorry. That that Cleveland was actually uh, was actually beaten because the first yeah. touch Cleveland came out to try and cut down yep. the angle, and Hurst's first touch with his left foot was. Uh, you know, stop the ball right around maybe a yard away out of goal, but in front of and and behind, excuse me, I should say behind Cleveland. And then so he takes the zero angle shot, hits off the post and then goes goes in. And, um, you know, had he not taken that first touch kind of away from Cleveland, Cleveland probably would have collected that ball. But it was just very deftly done. For you sure. can you can watch when the chip happens from BD. Fricky looks back and is trying to look at where Cleveland is, where the ball is, and where Hurst is all at once because he did not expect the flick. Cleveland comes up because he can't tell what kind of flick it was because it came it came so quickly, right? So is it a is it a cross that has some power to it? Is it literally just a flick that's floating? Is it a shot? He can't tell. So that's why he comes out. Ricky loses his man because he's trying to figure out what he needs to do. And like you said, Hurst just brings it down. And I think he realizes that Fricky's not with him. Cleveland's off his line, and he knows he has to get it short post quickly, and he does. Well, I can tell you, I, I, I'm our third string keeper on uh, my over 40 team, and almost that exact same thing happened to me last Thursday night. So I feel very much for Cleveland. Um, <laughs> but off the kickoff, like not more than 18 seconds, I think it was, off the kickoff, Lansing comes back and ties it up again. This time it was Tumi Moshabane who got a uh, scored off of a Pado. Um, Pado Stockton, baby. Oh my goodness! Pado I mean, it was hit with the no, no look, look, no look back heel. Like it was crazy, and uh, so it and um, 
So right off of this, there was a, a no-look pass. Moshe Bonney, who had it, he was making an overlapping run. I mean, it just shows, I think, how well-trained these guys are and the chemistry that these mm-hmm. guys have, that Pato knew that Moshe Bonney was going to make that run. Yep. He didn't uh, look that, at him the whole time. It was no, wild. No, it was, like, it was like a blind pass. I mean, it was, it was you know, behind the back, you know, behind was, the back 360, it, whatever. It was Clay Thompson. They, they, you know, it was just, it was wild. To, and Pato did that all the first half. We, we can talk about that. Pato, I think, at, at the end of the first half, had four chances created, had two assists. He did a great job kind of being the pivot to that offense. And so props to him. We know he can put in the back of the net, but to be able to have a striker that can hold the ball and pass it that well, is something that most teams don't have, right? This is so, you know, as if Lansing needed any more weapons. Here you go with Pato now showing off his incredible passing. I, I mean, it's amazing. You know, I think you're right. I think maybe there's two or three other players that that project to be where Pato is right now, right? Which is a little bit different, right? Because you have like maybe an Otoro Rodriguez, um, you, you know, Perusa, maybe, maybe a Perusa. You know, there's again, you can't name more than one probably on each team, and probably even then, probably not more than four, right? Yeah. So, um, so so yeah, just absolutely amazing. Like like I think um, Coutinho maybe on South Georgia could have done something like that, right? Like we've seen him those kind of flashes of brilliance. But like but, you said, it it takes that chemistry as well. And this is probably the most consistent the lineup has been. Obviously, Carr came in for Serta this game, but I think by having that consistency um, and kind of finding that sweet spot, you you've seen it, right? I think Lansing has lost one game in their last fifteen or something absolutely crazy like that. The um, last time the last time they lost was June 29th. Right. And then even before that, I think they'd won like three games before that loss. So they've just been clicking and it's it's incredible to watch. I know um, Weston was talking about capital combustion. He thinks they can be a USL championship playoff team. I don't know if I'll go that far, but it is definitely something where I think they won't they wouldn't be far off. I think they might just miss out on the playoffs. And had this team been playing like this in the U.S. Open Cup, I think they would have won as far as Ford did. Very possible. So Nick Moon scores again from a Pato assist in mm-hmm. the 30th minute. Who would have who would have the, the roommate connection? <laughs> Is that right? Are they yeah. are they roommates? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I, oh, I should have asked Nick that. Uh, no, too bad. Next time, next time I interview Nick, I'll talk okay. to him about it. Uh, so, so anyway, Nick Moon comes in from the right-hand side. He does a quick one-two with Pato. Pato, again, chemistry. Just knew the run that Moon was going to make. Moon gets it on the top of the 18, uh, takes takes one touch with his left to settle it, and then just, oh, excuse me, with his right to settle it, and then just bangs it with his left foot and finishes. Um, you know, this is the whole reason. I'm, conf- I'm still confused as to what position Nick Moon plays. He claims that he plays right back but you know he keeps on getting up into the attack like this it's hard to say whatever he wants to play (laughs) Nick Moon just plays whatever he wants to play yeah so anyway so so to everyone else just you know he tells me that he's a he's a right back but I still don't believe him anyway and Nick doesn't shoot often, but he's super efficient when he does. He's had 15 shots on the season, and 12 of them have been on target. Five of them have been goals. So, And, they're, of course, they're all rockets. I don't think I've seen a goal from Nick Moon that wasn't shot at 50,000 miles per hour into the back <laughs> of the net. So. Yeah, it does seem that way. So a little bit more about Nick in this game. So he spent 75% of his time in the offensive half of the field with 80% of his touches within 15 yards of the right touch line. So he you know, has stayed very tight. So the only time that he one of the very few runs that he made into the, the the middle of the pitch was you know right on the goal and he had one other shot that was from about the same
same area of, of the goal as well. He had six touches, only six touches in the defensive third of the field. This is a guy who plays right back. Yeah. Six yeah. touches and in the defensive third. I don't I still don't buy it. Well, when you're an <laughs> opponent, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear someone <laughs> as versatile as him not being you know, in the defensive half, right? You kind of want to push him to where you don't give him a chance to move forward. You don't really give him a chance to press the way that Lansing does. And obviously Chattanooga wasn't able to do that. Well, even though he only had six touches in defensive third, one of those was a block shot, by the way. Yeah. So yeah, that was you know, good, good on him. Uh, so there were a couple more goals here because in the 54th minute in the second half, Chattanooga ties it up. Greg Hurst gets a... Uh, um, so so Doyle, Connor Doyle winds up winning a 50-50 ball right uh, outside the box and just kind of kind of kicks it kind of randomly, I think. And but Greg Hurst was there to collect it and finished it far post. And, yeah. you know, nothing, uh, uh, you know, nothing Cleveland could do again. I mean, all of these shots were just so amazing. Yeah. That I think was, that was the first you know, one that went far. Well, outside of the the corner kick. Right. So I think yeah. like. Cleveland expected that to go near, possibly, because you can look at his body language. He starts to lean, and then I don't think he thought that Hurst was going to shoot that far, but he did. Right. And it was a great finish. Yeah, it, yeah. it hurts so good. Sure. Now, Jason told me before the show that he was going to go on to a <laughs> rant. So I don't know. Hashtags. Is this a spicy take, or is this just a... This is a rant. He's taking a sip of water, I'll getting his voice inside. ready. So let me just set up the set uh, set this up. There's a hard tackle on the side of the field, deserve it of a yellow. Vangel Zagoro comes over to the other side of the field and then takes a swing at Gomez's face with his hand. His hand hits Gomez in the face. That's a no-no. Red card comes out. Jason, why? What do you have to say about this? You know, on League One Fun, we're all about promoting players, right? We're trying to help y'all get the shine you deserve, try to help y'all get the bag. And I don't like calling players out, but this is something worth calling out. What are you doing? You guys are chasing the last spot of the playoffs. You are easily probably the best. Actually, I'm not going to say probably. You are the best passer on the team when it comes to corner kicks, when it comes to crosses. It's statistic. It's shown. You are important. Hell, two of the three passes or three goals that Chattanooga had started from a Zaguro foot. Okay, so when you know this, why on earth are you swinging at somebody's face, knowing that you're going to get a red card with any contact? And you can say, okay, well maybe he went to go push him high and he missed. Why even do that? Because here's the thing: when you go look at that play, when he fouled to me, he fouled to me. It wasn't like it was a 50-50 bad call. He tackled him late, angry because Toomey had won the ball or whoever had won the ball during those 50-50 chances. He came in late. It was a terrible foul, and then it was a terrible retaliation, but it was a selfish, and that's what really pisses me off about this. It's selfish, 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 because now Chattanooga has to play their next game without him. They know how important he is, and if you care about this team and you care about making the playoffs— you don't make selfish decisions like that. Like I said, this was not a decision to where you got fouled late and you were retaliating. You were the one that caused the foul. You were just upset because you got called out for it. A player got into your face and then you decide to swing at him. Listen, if I'm Coach Hankinson, he's done for the season. I'm not bringing him back. I don't care, right? Because you put, you just showed you don't care about this team. You don't care about what you, the position you're putting your players in for the next couple games that you have to win. This is not draw territory anymore. This is points on the board, three points points you need to win you are facing in a city to where a 
fan base is waiting for you guys to not make the playoffs so they can laugh at you in your own city. And here you are swinging at faces with the game, with the playoffs, with the season on the line. I'm done. Like I, if I'm Coach Hankinson, he's on the bench. He's done. It is what it is at this point. I'm just, it, it just really pissed me off to see him make a selfish decision like that. Like you fouled, deal with it, walk away. Don't put your team in jeopardy because up until that point, Chattanooga still looked like they can at least get away with the draw. They can at least win the game, right? Chattanooga has never lost the game where they scored first. And guess what? They did now. And it was because you decided you wanted to be selfish and try to punch someone in the face. So great job, Zagiro. Real proud of you. At Home Sweet Soccer. All right. So after Zagoro, Chattanooga bunkers it up. Going for that draw, hoping to no get choice, away with a point yeah. on the road, right? And, uh, you know, maybe Nick won on a counter, but they had very few opportunities after that. And it was, you know, just they were absorbing wave after wave of Lansing pressure. Lansing finally makes the breakthrough in the 90th minute. Tumi Moshabane from Rafa Mensigan. Um, so as they're as Chattanooga's sitting there bunkering, you know, really hoping that <laughs> to get that road point, uh, Toomey makes a great half turn and beat Uelfi, you know, who's one of the best D-mids or, or had been one of the best D-mids, certainly for the first three quarters of the season. And, you know, and on this half turn, he kind of wiggles his body. And I think Uelfi thinks he's going to start to go to the outside instead. He, instead, Toomey cuts the inside. The ball, he gets the ball to Rafa, who then backheels it to Toomey again. Um, so, and uh, Toomey, you know, I don't want to say he swung at it. I think it was a deliberate, like, I, I need to get this on target and get get this shot. But he was kind of um, uh, a little bit off balance. So the ball winds up going through all the traffic, though. And I think um, I think Mensigan saw it very, excuse me, uh, Mangles saw it very late. And um, when and just didn't dive in time because it was a very savable ball, but it was through so much traffic that uh, it winds up in the lower left corner. And, you know, go listen to my interview. Uh, I, I asked to me specifically about this goal during our interview. And he was, you know, he was clear how happy he was about uh, about having scored this late, very, very late winner. And they listen, Lansing players put their heart on that field, right? There was times to where there was a there was a chance to where N4 had a chance off of a chip earlier. Or I think N4 had chipped at the Rafa. Rafa had a chance. He just missed wide, and he's slamming the ball against the wall. They they want this. You can see the fire, you know, and, you know, being in that attacking system, I'm sure, helps. But this was something that they were going to push and push and push. And when you watch that Toomey goal at the end, he's cramping, right? He goes to the corner flag to celebrate, and then all oh, of a yeah, sudden he, he starts move, cramping yeah. up. Yeah, because he's been running nonstop. They've been pushing it. They're playing their heart out. And here you got Zagura over here throwing punches and putting his team in positions to where they can't even sub in players. They couldn't sub in anyone after that 60-minute red card, right? You had Cissé on the bench. You had Soto on the bench. You had these players who could have put offensive pressure to where Chattanooga didn't have the bunker. And instead, here they go. And if you allow chance after chance, you see it coming, right? You knew that goal was coming. It just took a, a moment of brilliance from Toomey, and there it was. So... It's just it's a pain to watch to watch that happen, but also props and Lansing for putting everything they can out there on the field. 
So I do want to go over a couple of stats because I think it is pretty telling as to how this game played out. You know, not necessarily who was who was going to win, but um, so firstly the trash stat, which for those of you who are new to the show, that is what we call possession because <laughs> Jason has dubbed it the trash stat. Uh, but Lansing had 62% possession to 38, which Lansing usually doesn't have that much of the ball because of the way that they press. You know, they'll often be 50-50-ish, um, but 62% possession is quite a lot for Lansing. Now, I think a lot of that had to be in that last 30 minutes because mm-hmm. Lansing had the ball almost the whole time the last, uh, the last after the red card in the last 30 minutes of the game. Um, but, you know, a lot of their offensive stats, they, you know, they were good. They, they outshot, uh, they, they outshot the, uh, the Red Wolves 17 to eight. They had eight shots on target compared to three. Um, the, uh, Lansing had, uh, uh, you know, Lansing didn't win any defensive stats, but they didn't have to, right. Because they, they didn't have the ball. In fact, uh, the, uh, the Red Wolves had to clear the ball 24 times during this game. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, quite, quite spectacular. Um, anything else about this game, Jason? We, we went over quite a lot of stuff here. Selfish, just selfish decisions in important games. You're a professional. This is, this is a professional league. Can't do it. Shall we move on to the Hennessy Derby? Yes, let's let's do it. Let's. Right. I'm going to need Hennessy after that. So let's right. let's let me pour a glass and let's talk about it. Yeah, is, you know, so is it weird that we're we're creating all of these matches and derbies and, and giving them absolutely not. You know, absolutely. I mean, not. It's, that's, it's, that's I mean, what this league is all about, yeah. baby. I mean, I like the Hennessy Derby because it came from the fans. It wasn't something right. that was like you know El Plastico or whatever they're calling the uh, North Texas versus Forward Madison yeah. matchup. Um, I mean, that one seems a little bit forced, but you know, the Henny Derbies. Uh, you know, I, I quite like. So in this one, Richmond was playing a must-win game against Forward Madison that a draw probably would have been okay for Forward Madison. But instead, Richmond kickers could not score a goal while Forward Madison nicked one in the sixth minute from Danny Tenorio. He got a, a really nice cross from Jose L. Nunez. Uh, the ball came down the left-hand side where Diaz made this great line-splitting mm-hmm. pass to Nunez, who then cut it back into space uh, behind Brandon Troyer, who just uh, – and, and Nunez just wasn't closed down. It, it, I don't know what Chinovsky was doing, but he didn't close down Nunez. He gave him so much time and space to make the cross, and, you know, Tenorio was just there for the tap-in and uh, inside the six. So um, – and and that was it. That was the only goal of the game. The, the, you know, the rest of the match was actually pretty even. You know, yeah. so unsurprisingly, Richmond had a had a bulk of the possession. Um, had 16 interceptions compared to nine for Madison. They uh, they had 490. Uh, Richmond had 492 passes compared to 386 for Madison. Um, and uh, they also outshot them a little bit, but th- 13 to 12. Six shots on target for Richmond, only four for Madison. And um, you, you know, it was it was. Richmond had their chances. I mean, Richmond could have done better. I, I think the the thing that I worried about here, Jason, and I want your take on it, it felt like Richmond was desperate mm-hmm. and they were taking too many shots again from outside the box. It looked like the Richmond from June where everyone just wanted to score and they weren't taking their time and just, you know, playing the ball into more dangerous uh, spots on the field. And, and I think a lot of that came at once. So when you look at the 23rd to the 33rd minute, Richmond had four shots on goals within those 10 minutes. And Silvestre just had four saves. And it was because they were coming from outside the box. Um, one of, you know, a lot of them were pretty much straightforward. One of them, Silvestre spilled, but then he recovered it. And yeah, I think what it was too is that 
you like you said, it was kind of desperate. It was as soon as you get a ball, as soon as you have space to shoot it, maybe they were hoping to get some kind of deflection or a spill. Um, but it also, Richmond wasn't getting their wing backs up at all. And so when, when that's not happening, you kind of don't have a choice, right? If you get the ball at the top of the box, you're at the 28, 25-yard mark, and there's no wing backs around you to play the ball to, you know, or go to one-two with, what do you do? Right, you you kind of do, do, do you think that was a tactical decision that that they had wor- decided to do before the game to try and close down Nunez and and Don Smart and it, and the wingers? Well, 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 with with Josie L, I think he played an amazing game and he was really the facilitator for Ford's offense. Oh, so I think once you once you saw it's not him, the fr- it's not the first time either. I mean, right, he's, no, he's done that uh, for a lot. But I think seasons. once you, I think Ford, they kind of they switch off on that, right? So sometimes you'll see Paulo Jr. do that. Sometimes you'll see Don Smart do that. Once they saw Josiel do that, knowing that he's not as fast maybe as Paulo or he's not as fast as you know Tenorio and their other offensive players, that's when you kind of have a little lean way of saying, okay, maybe we can move up a little bit. He's coming all the way back for the ball, so we don't have to worry about him really pressing or really outbeating us on a counter. And I don't know. I just felt like when Richmond – did get the ball. Dennis Chin had a lot of chances in the, you know, at the top of the box. But when you looked at the players around him, I didn't know what else he was supposed to do besides shoot because he didn't really have anyone overlapping and anyone really helping him with that offensive uh, pressure. So, yeah, and not not Joe Gallardo's greatest game either. Um, Joe Gallardo, you know, I wonder he took I think two of those shots and of the four that you mentioned, kind of after soon after the goal. Do you think that scoring the banger against South Georgia might have said, oh, I can make this shot like all the time? And, and, and I'm course, not allowed to talk about Joe no more. Okay. We, yeah. Well, anyway, I think that maybe that banger <laughs> didn't do him good because, he, he, you know, again, he tried to take shots from outside instead of trying to take guys on a little bit more inside the I, box and trying to maybe combine with uh, with, with Chin or, um, or, or uh, you know, one of the other midfielders. Yeah, and I, I do think that – I think what you were saying, though, plays a big role. I do think it was – they felt kind of pressure, right? They were like, okay, we're all, we're down a goal this early. We need to equalize quick. We can't let this game get away from us. And so that's when it becomes one of those things. It's like they were taking chances, but were they good quality chances? Um, and I think that, you know, was something to where you would hope in the second half they come out and take better chances, but it actually seemed like they kind of slowed down in the second half and Ford kind of possessed the ball more than they did in the first half. So, um, you know, and that's props to Ford too, right? I think they, you know, Silvestre, he held down that 10, 15 minutes when he needed to, to really kind of calm down, you know, a lot of the offensive pressure they were getting. And so after that, Ford was able to then play their game. I think, like I said, Josiel played a great game and kind of facilitating, controlling the ball. Uh, Eric Leonard did Eric Leonard things, made sure he stopped anything building up. And so, yeah, uh, props to Ford, right? They're, they're, one, they're the team that, you know, we keep talking about. Tucson's, you know, their games at the end of the season being at home. We're talking about, you know, whether or not Chattanooga was going to be able to. Ford's just been kind of doing everything they need to do to stay in that fourth place position, right? And if they keep doing it, then they're going to find themselves in the playoffs. Yeah, and even though they're not mathematically eliminated, uh, Richmond's effectively eliminated. I mean, it would, you know, basically they have to not only win out, but also get a lot of help in order to, uh, in order to make the playoffs at this point. Yeah. Which, and one uh, thing I'll say, yeah. if if Ford makes the playoffs, look out for Danny Tenario. I think 
We know he had an injury, was out most of the season. He's only played 325 minutes, but within those minutes, he's had two goals and assists, three key passes, an 86% pass rate on 72 passes, which is great for a midfielder slash striker, right? So he's had nine shots and five on target. I think just his offensive appearance you know draws defenders towards him you can't give him space and it allows Ford to spread out more and allows for players like Josie L and Don Smart to be able to you know make those runs and be able to collaborate with each other with those passes and so yeah I think that's something that you know defend the other teams are going to have a trouble kind of you know, trying to figure out because he hasn't played much of the season they're like all right now we have this guy he's healthy he's fresh He's obviously someone that we have to mark and pay attention to. How do we plan against him? So uh, should we say a, uh, say maybe a little ode to uh, an ode to Elliot Barr, our sometimes co-host on League One Fun? Is there anything? You mean, yeah, uh, uh, of the Patrick, uh, part, Patrick of the Patrick and Spongebob that I heard last week that you guys, it, yeah, <laughs> him and Weston couldn't even... Uh, <laughs> Couldn't even uh, keep a straight face and not laugh during times they weren't uh, talking. Oh, they're just like uh, fraternity brothers or something. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's um, Elliot. I'm sorry, but this might be it. Shout out to you. I know. I don't know what hurts worse. It, it's losing the Hennessy Derby or losing this game. But I will say, we're here for you. Don't forget your inaugural season. It might be hurtful now, but it'll always be special. Amen. All right. Jason, anything else about Richmond v. Madison for the third and final time this season? Nope. I think we're good to go with that. So the last game of the weekend, South Georgia Tormenta hosted North Texas. South Georgia scored the opening goal, but North Texas got two back to win this match and also secure the regular season League One title. Yeah. Goal in the fourth minute from Connor Antley. Uh, this was a uh, a very nice set piece uh, set piece I, chance from Charlie Dennis. Connor Antley gets in behind. No one picks him up at all. One I time finish it with his right foot. You know, six foot one guy. You can't miss him. I mean, it's not like keep, he snuck around. I keep telling you. I think it was who was it? Uh, Toronto or somebody exposed them. I think North Texas. They've got a weakness, and it's marking on those set pieces. Yeah, so uh, it definitely seemed that way. So this was in the fourth minute. Looked like maybe South Georgia would do okay, but of course they had done pretty well against Richmond as well in the in the very opening rounds. But in the 21st minute, uh, Richard Danso um, scored the goal that won the league. Mm. And because the, the North Texas only needed a draw in this match, and this was the the uh, the this was the tying goal. So Richard Danso wins it's, the league for North Texas. It's almost like somebody had tweeted days before that game about Danzo and how he is probably one of the most uh, disrespectful players in the league when he's one-on-one and just you it's hard to handle like if you like the and one mixtapes back in the day if you're a fan of watching people get embarrassed just watch Danzo he did it this game he did the game before when he's one-on-one with people he just embarrasses them they're always on the ground he's breaking ankles and it happened this game multiple times to multiple people and 
Yeah, it's, you know, you know what it is. He's always on his toes when he's dribbling, and the ball is always moving. So the so the issue that you have when you're a defender is you want to take your eye off the ball, and in order to look at the player to try and judge where their hips are headed or something like that. But if you if you do that and you don't watch the ball, you wind up almost getting dizzy and confused, right? Yeah. <laughs> like so, yeah. You just have to make sure that that I think with with Danso, you have to just stay up, watch the ball, and you know just know that he's going to. Move Move the ball both directions. So, um, no, I agree. I mean, Danso's ball work is is very is phenomenal. I mean, North Texas FC Dallas Academy puts out a lot of very technical, good players um, because you know the 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 goal. I mean, we know about some of the players, right? We know about David Rodriguez. We know about Arturo Rodriguez. We, you know, we know about uh, um, uh, Ronaldo Damas and Richard Danso is right up there. I think he's yeah. going to be the the guy who you know next season if he's still on this team, we're going to be saying like, hey, he's near the Golden Boot lead if if he's not the actual leader of the golden in the golden boot race and, and the thing is with him is he he's a supplier too so one of the things that i was talking about when i was tweeting about him was the chances that he creates because what's happening is he's beating people one-on-one and then that's drawing a defend a center back that has to come wide and it allows damis and Pepe or whoever to make those runs and that's why they're so successful at it right and well, so that's what happened last week right last week he did the exact same thing he beats one guy down the line a center back's getting out of position uh, uh, well, it was actually the left back was getting pulled out of position, and he, you know, crosses the ball in for Ronaldo, Ronaldo Damas to, um, you know, head the ball right in between two he, center backs. Like he does it so disrespectfully, boy. I can't. <laughs> I gotta. I might have to make an A one mixtape based off of his one on ones. It's just it's and like you were saying, it's one to have that technical ability, but he also has a kind of swag to him to where it's it's emotion, right? It's it's his style. It's his fluid. Like he he's. It's not like a a choreographed thing it's not like in basketball you have these bounce passes this is him like having a feel for the ball knowing his footwork and knowing his body and being able to throw people off because of it yeah uh north texas did win this game though where toro rodriguez in the 45th plus fourth minute of injury time had a free kick from the left hand side of the uh of the box he uh he curled it in it was almost like had it been a corner it would have been an olympico um it was a nice shot. I mean, I've seen shots just like it before. I mean, my son scored one the other day and in his high school game. But well, wow, yeah. Irish son better than Arturo Rodriguez. As you heard well, it here. Well, I, 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 I suspect that uh, I suspect that the goalkeeping is a little bit better in League One than it is at <laughs> in high school. But um, yeah, I mean, Arturo Rodriguez. It was up for goal of the week. It's a nice goal, but it's. Uh, I mean, it's not. It was nothing that special. Yeah. Um, you want to take? You want to? You want to? I guess a. I wouldn't call it a hot take. I'll call it a lukewarm take. A uh, lukewarm take. Go for it. I think Arturo Rodriguez is the MVP of this league. Oh yeah. I I think we had said and that he doesn't get talked enough. He doesn't get talked about, right? Like we talk about Pepe, we talk about Damis. We don't talk. We talk about um, Tessman or. Montgomery, Arturo Rodriguez, like gets brought up, and I think it's one of those things where everyone's like, "Oh yeah, well we know he's good." It's just like, yeah, but. We don't talk about how good he is. He leads the league in tackles, uh, duels, and duels won, and he is not the biggest person, right? He should yeah, okay. he, he's he's not. I actually said on the Top Door Soccer Show to Taylor Rockwell that, you know, Arturo Rodriguez was one of the players that should be on an MLS team now, yeah. right? And I think if it wasn't for the fact that Paxton Pomichol, Brandon Cervania <laughs> were in front of him, 
he would be somewhere else. I mean, I almost think he should go out on loan. Like if, if FC Dallas is going to stay in the Western Conference of MLS, he should go out on loan to an Eastern Conference team for half a season or something next year, right? And I mean, there's no reason that he should really be playing. I mean, not that I'm saying that USL League One is a bad level, but the fact is it is the third division. And, you know, he is... I agree with you. I think he is going to be the MVP. He should be the MVP. If I had a vote for MVP, I would take it and uh, and and would put him up there. And you know, if they gave me five votes, I would give him probably four of them. He leads. I mean, like I said, defensively, he does that. He has almost twenty more chances created than anybody than the second place person in the league, which is Charlie Dennis. He has sixty six chances created, and of course, he leads and assists. It's just wild how good he is, and I think because he's that good, it's kind of like LeBron, right? Like where LeBron will put up uh, a stat line, and we go, well, yeah, it's LeBron. That doesn't matter. We still need to be talking about how good he is, and Arturo Rodriguez is amazing. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, again, on the Team of the Week again. I'm guessing he's been on Team of the Week more than anyone else, too. I I don't have that stat in front of me, but I would imagine that that he has been. And if he's not, then he's got to be tied for first, right? Yeah. So... All right, so should we move on quickly to standings? Um, yeah. So the points per game standings and the outright standings are very close now because no one has more than one game in hand over anyone else. Uh, North Texas, though, is back over two points per game uh, after remaining a little bit under it for about three weeks. Uh, they're the regular season champions. No one can catch them. They will have home field for um, for both of their playoff games if, uh, uh, if they were to make it to the finals. Um, Lansing Ignite is in second at 1.73 points per game. They're guaranteed to be in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure I calculated that they need three points in order to three points in their next two matches in order to guarantee that they're, um, get home field. If Greenville loses a game that would also, uh, I think put them, put Lansing at home field for their, uh, semifinal. Greenville's in second. Uh, they can be caught by Madison. So Madison, Greenville, uh, South Georgia, and Chattanooga all have a shout possibility for third. Um, obviously, South Georgia and Chattanooga on 1.32 uh, points per game is um, um, they're both tied for fifth. They're both tied for fifth. They basically have to win out in order to come in third, but uh, but Madison is catchable if Madison were to falter the next couple of games. Tucson still outside chance. TFC two and Richmond are basically done, and OCB uh, still there. I think OCB's goal here is to try and have less than half a goal per uh, half a point per game <laughs> on average because right now their their average points per game is zero point five two. So listen, you want another hot take? OCB is going to fold again. No, I think that. That Greenville OCB game is not going to go the way people think. Ooh, OCB knocks, knocks Greenville off the pedestal. Game, I think there's one game that OCB uh, just ruins <laughs> for another team, and I think that might be the one. I think that OCB is that is that next week? Is that next? It's week? the uh, 27th. Okay, so, uh, so the yeah. week after. Yeah, and no, no, it's it's not this weekend. That I know. Yeah, yeah. the week after. Yeah, yeah. so. I think, yeah, I think OCB doesn't have anything to lose. And I think if they put the pressure and score first and make Greenville have to attack and chase the game, you know, Greenville's not used to doing that. I don't know. I just, and I could be wrong. And, you know, statistically, I probably am, but I just have a feeling that that game is going to be troublesome for Greenville. It's an important, it'll, that'll be an important game. I mean, I mean, basically, for those four teams in the middle, every single point is super important. I mean, for oh, yeah. Lans- Lansing, it's kind of important, but like Lansing realistically, 
realistically they're going to come in second. I mean, more than likely, most, especially if Greenville were to lose one of their next two games, then then Lansing's in second. But, most important game left Friday, uh, September twenty seventh, ten thirty at night Eastern Time. FC Tucson at home versus Ford Madison. If Ford are able to get points in that game, I think they're through in the playoffs. If Tucson wins next week and then wins this that game as well, then it comes down to last week. That they would they actually, well, depending on what Madison did this week, they would actually leapfrog right. Madison. And Madison, Madison has to play lose, North but, Texas this week. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's still. Are you entertained? Right, that's what you always yeah. say, Jason. So, are you entertained? It, the uh, the that fourth and final playoff spot still very much up for grabs among uh, among actually four teams. Team of the week this week, Carlos Gomez from Greenville Triumph was named Player of the Week for his lucky hat trick. Um, also, Greenville defender Evan Lee was put on there. Madison goalkeeper Brian Silvestri and uh, center back uh, Wyatt Olmsberg. You know, you know, people made fun of me for liking Wyatt Olmsberg over the summer, and mm-hmm. you know, he's been Team of the Week now, I think, four times out of the last seven weeks since talk, I talk since your I talk, said Ira. Talk so, your talk. Anyway. Um, I know my defenders. Not so much the attack. <laughs> All right. Uh, North Texas was very well represented. Ronaldo Damas, Arturo Rodriguez again, and Richard Danso, as as we talked about. You know, Arturo Rodriguez, like we said, I'm going to go back and count, but he's got to be on the team of the week more he than anybody else. He won 13 of his 14 duels. It's just like he's <laughs> playing around at this point. Seven <laughs> yeah. chances created. He had 74 passes and 64 were accurate, and I think like 52 of them were in the opponent's half. So they were like going forward. So it wasn't like their back passes. It's yeah. just incredible. What so, this so did, do. did you see the video uh, that was tweeted out by North Texas on the bus ride? Um, uh, where from, yeah. they, were, they were going home, you know, because they, they won, you know, singing, you know, chanting yeah. championes because because yes. uh, they had won. Yeah. So, um, you know, good on them. Yeah. Uh, Lansing Ignite attackers Rafa Mensigan and Tumi Moshibane. Um, so they were on this list as well. TFC 2's Jordan Perusa. And watch out. Someone from a losing team made the team of the week. Let's I think go. this might be a first. Let's go. Wahab Akwe from the Richmond Kickers. Because Akwe competed, completed 69 of 78 passes, had seven clearances, won three, three of three tackles. And, um, you know, his team lost. But, you know, he had a good game. So, yeah. you know, hooray. <laughs> this might be a first. Mind. Finally, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, anyone you think that's you know significantly missing from here? Um, I I think we you know you talked about Danso. We talked about Toomey. Yeah, I I wouldn't hate to see um or you know Pato on there. I think that like I said that especially in that first half, I think that he was the the offensive pivot for that team and was a major part of them scoring the way that they did. So, uh, you know, obviously you had like the three forwards that are on there all. Um. So one of them as a midfielder and threw Pato up there as well. So, so I think, uh, you know, from a losing team, I I might put Greg Hurst on there. You know, he Mm -hmm. had, uh, he had a really solid game and, um, uh, you know, and quite frankly, Connor Doyle as well from, from Chattanooga. I think they actually had really good games and, and given, given, you know, you score three goals and, you know, you get, you get a brace and your team loses. You, that still doesn't mean that you're a bad, bad player or had a bad game. Shout out, shout out to Cole Seiler because I he doesn't make team of the week 
every week, but he might be the most consistent player in the league for what he does, right? So for this week, four tackles, four clearances. And one thing about him is he chooses his tackles well. He only has 40 tackles on the season, which isn't a little, but it's not a huge amount compared to Arturo and Serta and all those guys. But he's won 31 of those 40 tackles, which is probably the best rate in the league. So 75% he consist- success rate. That's yeah. solid. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so he, he consistently just is there when he needs to. He can help offensively. So, like I said, maybe not a team of the week performance because of the stat quality of it, but it is someone who I think is a little bit of an unsung hero uh, for Greenville and deserves a shout-out. All right, moving on for week 25. All these times are Eastern. Greenville triumphed on Friday night. Not primetime. Not primetime. Greenville triumph is hosting TFC2 at 7 p.m., Um, so TFC two won't know what they're doing cause they're, uh, you know, it won't be four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> um, then on Saturday at 7 PM, we have two matches that kick off Chattanooga Red Wolves host OCB at 7 PM. Zagoro is suspended with a red card for his red card this week that, uh, you heard Jason rant about earlier. Lansing Ignite hosts South Georgia Tormenta 7 PM. Josh Phelps will be missing because of the double yellow that he received in their match against North Texas. And uh, at 10.30 p.m., FC Tucson faces off against Richmond Kickers out in the desert at 10.30 p.m. And then on Sunday at 5 p.m., Forward Madison hosts North Texas. Um, you, you know, there's a, a lot of matches here that have a lot of playoff implications. I mean, the Lansing-South Georgia match, I, I mean, basically they all do. Mm-hmm. But Madison-North Texas might be the most interesting to me. Do, do you think that North Texas really goes for it, or do you think that they rotate a little bit and Madison has a shot? Like, Madison at home, you know, they had a good week. They had a whole, full week's rest. What are you thinking here for on that one, Jason? Yeah, and, and I think um... – Madison won the last time that they played in Madison, right? That was a 4-1 thrashing in El Plastico. So uh, I think with North Texas, you might see some rotation. I don't know if it comes now or if it comes towards the end, like the last game or two, right? I mean, as a – you're a coach, so what would you do as far as do you start the rotation now and then have them play a little Uh. bit more – for the last game so that they're more fresh going into the playoffs or do you rest them now a little bit or i mean do you rest do you play them now and then rest them for that last game well remember i'm, I'm a developmental coach so i play everyone pretty much equal playing time <laughs> all the time um i also don't have a 23 man roster either i only have a, a 14 player roster um so I think I think I would probably rotate a couple of people, or at least you know give some starts to some people and rest a few others. Um, like like I might start some. I might start David Rodriguez instead of Arturo, for example, like something like that. Like you know basically basically start start your guys that usually come in as subs, like those four or five players that you see who regularly come in between the 60th and 75th minute. Have them start a game to see how they do because you might need them too in the playoffs, right? That's right. that's the other thing. Someone gets hurt, right? Arturo Rodriguez gets you know someone someone has a bad slide tackle on him, he twists his ankle, and he has to sit out a game. Like if that's a semifinal, you want to make sure that you have someone who can slot in there, right? right. And this is the time to do it because these games don't matter to North Texas at all, yeah. right? The only reason to the only reason to play pit players now, I think, is for development purposes. It's not for trying to win the title. Yep. All right. Uh, anything else on any of these games, Jason, that you want to talk about yeah. before we uh, before we move on? 
Yeah, I, I know Tormenta has a huge uphill battle playing Lansing, who, like I said, I think has lost like one game in 15. They're playing in Lansing. Uh, they're missing an important defender after those two yellow cards. Um, but motivation for them, if they win this game and then Fort loses to North Texas and Chattanooga draws like they like to do or loses, they're in the playoffs, right? They're in that fourth place spot. So it's not over yet, right? I think Tormenta still has a little bit of a chance. I think yeah. with their schedule, though, with their remaining schedule, it's going to be really tough for them. Well, I think they almost have to win this one because they're four. Uh, they're four points. The way that it works out, they're four points behind Madison. Um, and uh, I thought I th- they were only three points behind Madison. Uh, I think well on points per game, they're point one two points per game behind. So one of those teams must have a game in hand. Um, okay. So I think I think you know Greenville I know has a game in hand. Um, yeah, but I don't know so, about yeah. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure, but but anyway, but they're they're close. They're going to need to, yeah. Madison has to if Madison drops points and South Georgia picks up points, then they're yeah, basically this, right this there. This is the week to do it because Madison has to play North Texas. So, right, yeah, exactly. If Madison, you know, if North Texas beats Madison, then this is where South Georgia would have to pick up points. Um, to Lansing, you know, a draw would be fine here, right? Because a draw gets them yep. just incrementally closer to hosting the uh, the, the yep. semifinal. For sure. And if they can wrap it up before the end of the season, then maybe they rest a couple players um, for that last game. Yeah. Yeah. Lansing, this is Lansing's penultimate regular season game. They only have one game after this. Yeah. So um, th- they'll be playing in a friendly in, be- in that week in between when uh, when most of the other teams are, are playing. So we had one question from Reddit. Jason, do you want to read us out? It's who's the Quirts? The Quirts. The Quirts. <laughs> And he asked, uh, as we get closer to season ending, what potential playoff matchups are you most hoping for looking forward to? Ooh, so I'll take that first, I guess. Um, I mean, all of these are pretty compelling. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see. So so what's interesting is that this this weekend's matchup of Madison, North Texas, if the standings were to remain exactly as they are right now, that would be the semi first semifinal, but it would be at North Texas. Mm. So I think that's an interesting match. But um, no, Lan- Lansing Greenville is super compelling, and yep. as it stands that's, right that's now, it looks like say. it looks like that's it. That is that is one of the most fascinating technical matches. I think the teams are. You know, Lansing is in form, but I think Greenville is just as good. I mean, I think without Jake Keegan, I might give that a little bit to Lansing, but it's really a, you know, that that's a pressing team versus a very, very good defensive team, which could often make for very interesting narratives and games. Yep, I agree. And I think it's important for Lansing to get home field uh, because Lansing has not lost at home, I don't think, since like April, something crazy like that, or I'm sorry, June against Toronto. That was the last time Lansing lost at home. And before that, it was like April. So if Lansing can get home field, I think they should be okay against Greenville. But you're definitely right. I think that's the most compelling. I can definitely see that being a 1-1 game going into extra time. And, uh, yeah, I think that would be the most exciting first-round matchup. You know what could be interesting? So someone – I don't remember if it was you or maybe it was was – one of the other recent, recent SpongeBob uh, or Patrick. Well, maybe one of them, or, or maybe even Ross Devonport. Um, but FC Tucson, like the way that they play with the counterattacking style, yeah. that is a very like knockout 
knockout game kind yeah. of style that often wins. So if they happen to make that four seed and they're, they're able to like disrupt North Texas, yeah. that could be interesting. They didn't do well against North Texas this year, but, but, uh, they, but no one they, really did. They would just have to foul and not allow North Texas to get into a groove and then, like you said, catch them on a counter um, or a set piece, right? Have Venter come up there and score one of his you know, best defensive playing scoring goals yeah, that he does. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some kind of uh, like, you know, left footed scissor kick. It, it, bicycle. Yeah. Some, something <laughs> simple. Yeah, exactly. So great. Thanks very much for the question. If you have any questions, you know, definitely tweet at us. We'll, uh, you know, be more than happy to answer any reasonable question or if you want to make fun of Weston Shelton, that's fine too. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of those last week. He has a lot of lovers and haters. It's 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 very That's interesting. That's what happens when you are stat nerds. <laughs> hey, we, we're gonna we're already planning some off. Uh, we, let's talk about this on air a little bit, actually, for two minutes. If you if you are awake, Jason, oh, um, in the off season, you know, we'll obviously need to take a little bit of a break. But I I might put out um, some of our interview shows, just you know, mixing and matching. Maybe putting out a whole coaches interview podcast and. You know, maybe a couple of players or something like that. But but one of the things that Wes and I were talking about doing was doing an interview or two about a couple of books that uh, that that we've read on stats. Oh, so, so so that's one. Yeah, um, we are some nerds. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you, you know, how often you know, tweet at us how often you you know would want to hear from us in the off season. Like, is is monthly okay, or um, you know, you're just looking for more content? Like, what's your what what's what do you really want? You know, obviously we'll come back in like February when we start talking and the coaches and and rosters are starting to be built and stuff like that but you know let us know what you want us to do in november december january what you're interested in yeah i i, I would like that too. tweet us and let us know what kind of content you're looking for speaking about tweeting jason where can people connect with you at home sweet soccer I can be found at Ira Jersey, and you can connect with the show at league one that's league and the number one fun Thank you for listening, and please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, and check out bgn.fm for other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, MLS, and much more. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Until next time, hashtag Support local soccer. I'm sorry, Elliot.